good to see everybody this morning. My name is Lee, and I am the family pastor here. So I'm going to talk about family pumpkin night for a little bit longer. Uh, there were flyers when you came in. If you didn't get one, there are some, some more back there. Pass these out to people that you know. If you have kids, make sure to pass this to your kids. If you're thinking, you know what, I don't have kids. Why am I going to take one? Well, you can still show up and help us out that night. It's next Saturday. It starts at 6 o'clock. We're going to have food, we're going to have dessert, uh, we're going to have some games, we're going to have some pumpkin decorating. It is going to be a, a fun time. We've had it, this will be our third year now to have it, so that's very exciting. We even had it last year. Crazy, right? One of the few things that actually happened last year. Also, the best thing about it is that it's outdoors, so you don't have to have a mask when you come to it. So, if you're like, I want to go to a thing at church where I don't have to wear a mask, come to pumpkin night. It's right there. All right, we're going to be continuing in the book of John, which we've been going over for the past few months. Uh, last week, Pastor Matt preached on the first half of chapter 10, and he talked about Jesus being the good shepherd, the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep, who protects his sheep, and who ultimately gives his life for his sheep. And so before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you. Lord, that you are the good shepherd, God, that you care for us in spite of our own foolishness, in spite of some of the most boneheaded decisions that we make, God, you still love us, you still want to be with us, you still treasure us. God, I pray that as we read today, Lord, I pray that we will see the truth that your word brings out, God. I pray that everything that is of you gets amplified today, God, I pray that you are glorified in everything that we read Lord, I pray that we see, God, that you are the only thing in this life that can transform us, God, to, to begin to create us who we were meant to be, Lord, that can only come through you. God, I pray as we look over these, Lord, I pray as we think through these things, God, that we will see your heart, that we will see your compassion, that we will see your holiness, God, and that we will see the unending and unfailing love that you have offered to everyone. In your son's name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to begin in John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 22. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the seat in front of you. It looks like this one, and we are on page 733 in this Bible. Your Bible number, page number could be different. So if you're getting one from here. Also, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take this one home. We're going to start in John chapter 10. Read the first couple of verses in verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Another translation of this is what they're telling Jesus is, hey, how long are you going to annoy us? If you're the Messiah, which we've been hearing about for hundreds of years, please just come out and tell us. Just come out and say it. It's, it's, that would really be the best thing for all of us, Jesus, if you would just come out and if you would just say this. So if you've been with us, if we've read through John before, Jesus has been telling them this. He hasn't been saying word for word, I'm the Messiah, but the things that he has been doing, the way he has been referencing the Old Testament, 
Jesus has been claiming this whole time that he is the Messiah, that he is the one to come. And so if you've been following along with us, and even if you haven't, um, the book of John, every time it talks about Jesus giving like a big discussion or something big happening, it's almost always at a festival or a celebration. And so we see here, John gives us this chronological timepiece of where we are. We're at the festival of dedication. The reason festivals are talking about so much is because every celebration, every festival of the Jewish people was fully realized in Jesus. So it's shadowing, right? The, the celebrations are a shadow, right? Like a small piece, and Jesus fulfills all of those things. Now, if I ask you this morning, how many of you know what the festival of dedication is? I don't know that a lot of people would raise their hand. But if I asked you, has anyone ever heard of Hanukkah? I imagine most of us would raise your hand. It's the same thing. The festival of dedication is Hanukkah. Okay? And so what that celebrates, right? Because you know, growing up, the only thing I knew about Hanukkah was that it lasted eight days. But what it celebrates is there was a time in history where the temple had been desecrated and had been destroyed. And so people of the Israelites that God had brought were able to restore the temple. And so Hanukkah was a celebration of the temple being restored because in the Old Testament, the temple was where the presence of God was. And so we can already see, if we put this together, if we think through this, if the temple represents the presence of God, and so that's what this festival is about, and Jesus is the fulfillment, we can see that Jesus now is God in person being among us. And in a couple of chapters, we'll find out in the next few weeks, when Jesus dies, the Holy Spirit comes to those who have placed their faith and trust in him so now the presence of God is not confined to a building, but it's within all of us who have placed our faith in Christ. So that's what we mean when we say that the festivals and the celebrations point to Jesus fulfilling that, because the ultimate thing in that is to see Christ as the one who has brought us out of slavery, as the one who's restored us, and as one who is the presence of God. And so he gives us this to let us know, it's, this time period is around November to December, somewhere in that area. So it's, again, I love when those moments get put in Scripture because it's not just some crazy story we think of, but it connects us to reality, things we know and the things we have experienced. So we understand that this is during Hanukkah. One of the things, though, for this is, this is Jesus' last time to speak to the general public. Right? There, there are more recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, but it's all either to a small group or to his disciples or to Pilate or to one or two people. This is the last time that Jesus does like a, hey, I'm going to talk and everybody that wants to come, come check it out. This is the last time he does this. And there's something at the end of it I think is connected to that that I'll go over as we get there. And so what he's doing now is all these people are coming to hear because he's done things like he brought a man back from the dead, he helped a blind man be able to see. So there's something going on. And as Pastor Matt even spoke about last week, Jesus and the things that he has done have created divisiveness with people. Right? Some people are divided over whether or not he's crazy or whether or not he is actually the Messiah. And so this comes to a point in verse 24. Verse 24, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Again, how long are you going to annoy us? Tell us plainly. And what we need to understand is they're seeking clarity. 
but not because they want to bow down and worship Jesus. They're seeking clarity because they're looking for a reason to accuse him of blasphemy. Because in Jewish law, if you claim to be God, that was considered blasphemy, and that was punishable by death, by stoning. So that's what they're trying to get to. When they seek clarity, it's not out of purity of their own heart. They already have an agenda set up. They're trying to do everything they can because they want to stop Jesus from what he's been doing. That's why they ask this. That's why they want to make those accusations against him. And the reason being is because the Jewish people, when they thought of a Messiah, they thought of someone who would come in power. They thought of someone who would control things politically and with military might. That's what they thought of. That's not how Jesus did things. If you're thinking somebody's coming with power and that's how they're going to overthrow things, that's how they're going to transform the world, and then you see this person who sacrifices, who serves other people, who shows love to everybody, that didn't match with their idea of what the Messiah should be. So if they kill him, then they can find somebody who's going to match that. So they had these wrong assumptions because they believed that following the Messiah would lead them to worldly glory, as though the, the, as though the nation of Israel was the end-all, be-all, and that's what they were wanting to happen. But as he does with so many things, Jesus does not operate that way, the way that we expect that to happen. And what we have to think about for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus is what are some wrong assumptions we have about Jesus. Here's a big one that I see from all of us. We assume that Jesus likes all the things that we like and hates all the things that we hate. We do. It's not I go to Scripture and see what Jesus says and line myself up with that. It's here's what bothers me, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, and I'm sure that Jesus is on my side. I'm sure that Jesus is on my side. So the problem with that is what has happened is now, instead of us following Jesus, we're trying to get Jesus to follow us. I once heard a a pastor say, and I never forgot this, he said, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to return the favor ever since. And that's so true. That's so true. Everything we do, we believe that we're right. Listen, we all think we're brilliant. If we didn't, we would change our opinions. We would change what we thought. Every single one of us. There are people in this room who are on the opposite ends of spectrums in so many things, but everybody equally believes that they're correct. Every one of us. And so what the danger that we have as believers is that we try and say, well, Jesus is on my side. If you're using the phrase, Jesus is on my side, you need to stop using that because it's not about your side or my side. It's about Jesus and how we are on the side of Christ. That's what we want to be about. And so Jesus begins to answer them, again, to go against what they're saying because they don't know what's going on. In verse 25, after they said, how long will you annoy us? He said, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. All the miracles that these people who are talking to Jesus, they've seen all of this. They're aware of this. 
So why is there this struggle for them to be able to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Verse 26, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So if we're reading that, then the first question we need to ask is, how do I know if I'm one of Jesus' sheep? We need to ask that question of ourselves. How do I know that? And Jesus says, they follow me. So we follow him. If we are one of Jesus' sheep, we follow him. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means that we are committed to the will of Christ and the purpose of his mission way more than our own. It means he comes first. It says that they follow him. Now, here's what's crazy. I'm going to let you in on something. You cannot be in charge of your own life and follow Jesus at the same time. That's not an option. You cannot be in charge of your own life and call in the own, your own shots no matter what you want to do and at the same time follow Jesus. Those things cannot happen together. But again, we think that we're brilliant, we think that we're right, and we think that somehow it gives us control to be able to decide everything that we want to do because we think that we know best. We think that we know best. So then the next question becomes, if you ask somebody, what does it take to follow Jesus? Or what does it look like when you follow Jesus? Now, I grew up in a small church in Louisiana. The church I went to shaped the way I viewed what it meant to follow Jesus. And so what I was taught when I was growing up that here's how you follow Jesus. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't run around, stay out of prison, and come to church when the doors are open. And as I have left Louisiana, I found out that that's not just a thing in the South. Across the country, we have these things. Well, if you do this, right, then that's what makes you a follower of Jesus. All those things I listed, guess what? This podium's a follower of Jesus too then. It doesn't drink, it doesn't smoke, it stays out of prison, it's here every Sunday. It, it's, it is, there has to be a difference between us and this. What is the difference? If it's only the things that we don't do, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, are, are we really saying that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died just so that there could be no difference between us and an inanimate object? Surely there's got to be more to it than that. See, the difference is this doesn't have life. As Matt preached last week, Jesus came to give us life. Following Jesus means there is life. And so for following him, what does that look like? What, what, what did Jesus do? He served other people. He sacrificed his desires for the greater good. So if we're following Jesus and we're disconnecting with this idea of having abundant life or having life to the full, usually what happens, at least in my own experience, is when I become so focused with myself, I kind of lose out on the abundant life that Christ has promised. When I'm not looking to how I can help someone else, to how I can show somebody kindness, when I'm worried about my own things, and that takes top priority in what I want and what my preferences are, I miss out on that. So this life that we're looking for comes in our service to others the same way it did with Christ. The same way it did with Christ. We try to take control of our lives because we believe that we know best and so that we can create this sense of security and this sense of comfort around our lives. And if the past two years have shown us anything, that's not possible. 
You cannot create your own security. It can be taken like that in an instant. You don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. None of us do. But if we look in the Word, verse 28, let's see about Jesus' power. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. He said, no one, if your faith is in Christ and what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection, no one can take you out of his hand. I want you just to sit and think about that for a moment, because here's the reality. Again, I'm going to let you in on another secret. We still make mistakes even once we put our faith in Jesus. I wonder if you guys knew that, but we still sin, and we still make mistakes. And so the problem becomes is that we can think to ourselves, oh man, like I, I'm just such a terrible Christian. I'm, I'm messing up. I'm drawing myself further and further away, and I'm eventually going to be out of God's hand. The Bible says, no, Jesus says no one can snatch them out of my hand. That includes you. You can't snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand. That should be a beautiful thing for us because, listen, you're going to make mistakes. The difference is, right, to know if you're following Jesus, when those mistakes come, when that sin comes, does it break your heart? Does it get you to the point where I need to go to God for repentance? See, that's the difference. That's what following him is about. And we don't need to put all this effort in following ourselves. We can't give ourselves that security, but Jesus gives us that. He has that power. Even on our worst days as believers, he still keeps us in his hand. He still does that because he still knows what's best for our life. So we have this choice. Do we follow him or follow ourselves? Okay, so, here's, so here's the thing. This is going to be an audience participation question. Um, how many of you have, raise your hand, how many of you had ever made a decision that has harmed yourself either emotionally, physically, or spiritually? Okay, so we can all agree that none of us are qualified to run our own lives then, right? Listen, I, I, could, I, I guarantee you, I could probably ask, how many of you just in the past two weeks, this isn't a participation part, so you don't raise your hand, but even how many of you in the past two weeks have made a decision that harmed you in one shape or another? We could probably all still raise our hands. So the fact that we believe that we're so arrogant that we could control our lives and we know what's best for us is crazy. But yet we still want to do that. We still want to do that. When Jesus offers us life, we still want to do that. And so as we see, he's at this festival, and the people that he, are spe- that he is speaking to, they want him dead. We talked earlier about how Jesus is usually the opposite of what we expect, right? We usually make wrong assumptions of who he is. And this is another time because the people are thinking, you know what? If we can kill Jesus, then guess what? His message is done. It doesn't spread anymore. His time is done. And so by doing that, they actually end up fulfilling his message and allowing it to be to a point where people sitting here in Benicia, California in 2021 can have our lives transformed because of that. It's amazing the things that God does for us. And so why do they want him dead? Let's look at verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. 
For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So again, as we talked about earlier, if he's claiming to be God, anyone that does that can be stoned. That was allowed by Jewish law. When Jesus says that he and the Father are one, he means in direction and will and purpose in everything that they are doing. And so the Jews took this as blasphemy, as him claiming to be God. He was, and he is. So he's claiming equality and oneness with God. The problem for the people who were accusing him is they took this to mean that he was a competing God, that he was claiming to be a God, and they took that as going against Yahweh, the God of Israel that they grew up learning about. And that's not at all what he meant, but that's how they took it. And so what's amazing is that Jesus will this time stay around and have a conversation with him. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus makes another claim where he says, before Abraham was, I am. So at that point, the end of chapter 8, he's claiming to be God. They pick up stones to stone him, but he escapes the crowd. But here, in verse 31, after it said they picked up stones to stone him, Jesus begins to talk to them. I think based on what we read in Scripture, here's what we can get from that. This was Jesus' last talk to the general public. So for some of these people, they are never going to hear his words ever again. And he knows that. And so he's looking at people who are picking up stones and who want to kill him. And out of his compassion, he wants to continue the conversation because he still wants them to come to him. He still wants them to see that they are in need of a Savior and that he is the Savior that has come. The way that he loves people, the way that he loves us, the way that he loves his enemies is very, very difficult for us to even comprehend. If people are going to do those things to me, I'm not going to sit there with my arms wide open. But he does that. He shows us that compassion. He's there with his arms wide open. So he stays to talk to him. In verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are God's? If he called them God's to who the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Jesus is claiming that everything he has done has been the work of God himself. That everything that he has done has been the work of God. And so what he's telling his accusers is he said, listen, I'm going to use your law, right? The law is what you are using to say that I'm blaspheming. But I want you to use that and think through what that says and what you have seen me do. What I love, this is, so my, my mind works very, very logically. Math was always my, you know, good subject. So when things make logical sense, I, I like that. Jesus never says, have blind faith about everything. He says, think through what has happened. Think through what has happened. He's even telling this here. He's not saying, hey, listen, I said the right word, so you believe me and let it be gone. He said, listen, even if you don't believe my words, just look, look at the evidence. See what is here. If there's anything contrary to what the Word of God talks about, 
then yeah, then don't follow me. But if it's in line with who God is, why wouldn't you accept me as the Messiah? Because God wants us to think this, this, this idea of let's just have blind faith, whatever happens, that's not biblical. Listen, you having blind faith in me talking or Matt talking or Ian talking from up here, I don't know if you know this, but we are not perfect. We occasionally make mistakes. And so what I say by that is while it is always our goal to be faithful to the Scripture, we are not Jesus. We are human beings. We have flaws. Everyone that you look up to has flaws of some kind, except for Christ. And so what he's saying is that he is the Son of God. Everything that God wanted to do was accomplished through the work of Jesus. And so he's presenting them with this, as he does with, here's what Jesus does when he's talking, there's always a choice to be made. After Jesus presents everything, there's the choice to be made. Are they going to follow him, or are they going to continue trying to run their own lives? And see, the same thing is true for us today. Here's our choice. Are you going to submit to Jesus and follow his ways to actually get the abundant life, or are we going to continue to fool ourselves into thinking that by ourselves we can achieve this abundant life that the Bible talks about? That we can give this false sense of control, that we understand what's happening, that we understand how life is supposed to work. That's our choice. If, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, I, I want you to, to think about that. I want you to think about that. What are the options? The options are you follow Jesus or yourself. Now, we just all admitted earlier that we ourselves are not good enough to do that. So why do we continue to go back to that? How come whenever there's a problem in our lives, and I say this speaking from experience, more than I'd like to admit, my first instinct isn't to go to God's Word. It's to try and figure it out on my own. That's my first instinct. Right? Again, because I want things to make sense. So my first thing is to make sense. And so I find out in those moments I'm lacking the abundant life that Jesus promises. And so eventually <laughs> it hits me like, okay, Lee, you can quit being a moron. You need to go to God's Word. You need to spend time in prayer. That's where you should have been in the first place. Again, not that Jesus would call me a moron, but, you know, the whole self-deprecating thing, right? to spend time with God, because here's the reality. We base our, our, sometimes our faith on what our circumstances are. Our circumstances have nothing to do with whether or not God loves us, with whether or not Christ came to die for us. Your circumstances don't matter in that regard. See, this whole, this whole idea of salvation was given to us by Jesus. The eternal life that he offers is all because of what he has done. There is nothing you or I have done for salvation and eternal life to happen for us. The only thing that we have done was to sin to make it necessary for him to come and die on the cross. That's all you and I contributed. The bad stuff, right? The bad side of this equation is all that we have contributed. And here is where such a dangerous spot for those of us who are believers. We understand that at that moment of salvation, we understand I am in need of being rescued. I want to give my life to Jesus. And so that moment comes, and then we say, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure I keep it. You're not the reason for salvation in the first place, and you're not the reason that you are kept in Jesus' hand afterwards. It is all because of him. 
It's all because of Him. And that should bring us comfort that we can't even think about. We get so caught up in these other things, not understanding there's nothing He can do to, to snatch us. There's nothing nobody can do to snatch us out of His hand. And that includes ourselves. Because here's the reality. We get down on ourselves, right? We make mistakes. We talked about this. We make mistakes, and we don't understand that God wants to forgive us. Because we somehow, I, again, this was my view of God for a long time. I'm not, maybe some of you can, can resonate with this. My view of God was that when I mess up, God reluctantly forgives me. He doesn't want to, but he reluctantly forgives me. As I got older and read through more scripture and understanding that, that, that forgiveness is an attribute and characteristic of God, he longs to forgive you. It brings him joy because what you're doing in that moment is you're recognizing your need for him. We're admitting our dependence upon him. So it's not a reluctant thing. It's the story of God coming with open arms saying, oh, I can't wait to forgive you and welcome you back home. Like that gives me chills even as I talk about it up here because for so long that was my view of God that it was reluctant that God didn't want to forgive me but that he had to. But to understand that not only does he want to but there's nothing that could snatch us out of his hand. For me, that just helps me take a deep breath and to understand like it's, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do because I can't do anything apart from him anyway but to understand that he keeps us. And for those of you that are struggling with this right now, I, I hope that you're encouraged by this because it can be easy to get down on ourselves because we expect a lot of ourselves, especially once we become believers. We think, man, I should never mess up. I should never make a mistake. The Bible doesn't say that. It says when those times happen, come to Jesus. So that's what I'm inviting you to do today. Come to Jesus. To understand that when God... When God looks at us, if our faith is in Jesus, then God sees Jesus. What I mean by that, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin, so that in him, in him being Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So let's think about this. If our faith is in Jesus, then when God looks at you, he sees all the things that Jesus has done. I mean, that's crazy. That is absolutely, what a terrible deal on his part that he gets. He gets our sin, we get his righteousness. And so, you know, I know we got the free book, Gentle and Lowly, in uh, September, and I was reading through that, and there was one thing that really stood out to me. He talks about some scripture, and then it, he uses the phrase, what is true of Jesus is true of you, if your faith is in Christ. And so that blows me away to understand that when God looks at me, my life is hidden in Christ, meaning he sees Jesus. And so what that does, instead of that making this, oh, well, I'm not supposed to drink or I'm not supposed to do all these things, I've got to show up every day, it makes me understand like there is abundant life in there because of what Christ has done. It makes me see the beauty of Christ. And listen, that's the only thing that will change lives. Giving people a list of do's and don'ts does not change anybody's life. Seeing the beauty of Christ and how there is so much more than we could ever possibly imagine, that is what transforms lives. So 
So for those of you who are not believers, I want to invite you to be in on that. For those of you that are believers, I want you to think about what that means for our lives. When you think about how your faith is designed to go, it's not to follow a list of do's and don'ts. There are things that we're going to do if we follow Christ. But to see His beauty and to let that be the thing that draws us in and for our life to be changed. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity to reflect on that as we do communion. I'll give you guys a second to start opening your thing because I'm aware. I, I pre-opened mine, so I'm, I'm cheating. I'm cheating. And so what we want to do at this time is we want to think about what Christ has done for us and to understand that if our faith is in him, as we reflect on his death and resurrection, that nothing can snatch us from his hand. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, you are so, so good. So loving to us, Lord. So amazing, God, that you have promised that no one can snatch us out of your hand. God, even on our worst days as believers, let that be a comfort to us. God, let us see the beauty in that. God, in the beauty of who you are and of what you have the power to do, Lord, because we don't have that power. We don't have the power to transform our own lives. God, we don't have the power to give ourselves salvation. And we don't have the power to keep us in that salvation that you give us. But it's only by you. God, I pray that as we think about what you have done, Lord, and about how we need to live for you. God, not that it's a list of do's and don'ts, God, but to see your beauty, to see your awesomeness, and to understand that that is a far greater treasure than anything else this world has to offer. Help us not to be fooled into thinking that we can provide security and comfort for ourselves, God, when that's not even possible. But you can, and you have. Lord, I pray for those who have not placed their faith in you, God. I pray that you'll open their eyes and their hearts, Lord, to see, God, to see you for who you are. As someone who has compassion on us, as someone who loves us, God, even as Jesus was facing people who wanted to kill him, he continued to speak about being the Messiah. God, on our own, we don't have that kind of love for other people, especially people that are against us. God, we need you to supernaturally transform our hearts 
to reflect who you are and to follow you, God. And I pray that even now that we will ask this question, are we your sheep? Are we following you? Now, do, do we have the abundant life that you said you came to bring? God, I pray that you'll help us look for opportunities to serve others this week, God. That you'll make us aware of that, Lord. Even this week, God, I pray for everybody in this room that at some point this week, Lord, you will make us aware of an opportunity to do something for someone with expecting nothing in return. God, help us to follow you in that way, Lord. Help us to further your kingdom. And God, I pray that you'll help us just to sit and think about all that you have done for us. In your son's name I pray. Amen.